electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, good evening here. Good afternoon out west, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. First up on Last Call tonight, the shockwaves for the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. It is still being figured out, and there is much we still do not know about exactly what went wrong. But what we do know is that the political blame game is ramping up at a pace that would put any tech startup to shame. You got one side blaming the bank's culture, which seems ridiculous, and the other team blaming changes to the Dodd-Frank regulation bill made five years ago. An assertion that four separate nonpartisan banking experts that I spoke with personally today said likely made little to no difference because SVB was already buying super safe assets and any additional stress test likely wouldn't have set off alarms. In any case, we can't know for sure until we know about if and when the bank did those stress tests. Of course, many in D.C. will disagree and many others have already seemed to made up their minds about what happened. But what everyone we spoke with agrees is one thing. Most of the responsibility here should be and will be borne by bank management. They grew the bank and they built its now broken balance sheet. Remember, SVB did not even have a chief risk officer for eight months leading up to this January. Maybe that is one reason. Today, the DOJ and SEC opening investigations into the bank. But also do not forget these facts. SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, was under the regulatory authority of both the San Francisco Federal Reserve and California's banking regulator. They play a big role in making sure the banks are not doing something foolish with your money. So who exactly is the San Francisco Fed? Well, we talk about it on Fed Day, but let's go a little bit deeper into the organization. If you go to their website, you can check it out for yourself, the board of directors. Among it, there are a couple of financial professionals from investment firms, and up until last Friday, the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. Greg Becker was on the board of the San Francisco Fed, a position that, as you might imagine, is that little avatar there. It's now vacant. But the board also consists of the head of the Port of Long Beach and the former chief negotiator of the Screen Actors Guild. And while the regional feds certainly have broader responsibilities than just overseeing banks, and all of these folks are smart and successful, this is the board at least partially responsible for monitoring bad bank behavior. Remember, the San Francisco Fed also oversaw the now-closed Silvergate Capital, which imploded just before SVB, as well as FTX's deal to buy little-known Moonstone Bank for a huge multiple. And it is not just the Fed with a key role here. The state of California also plays a role in banking safety. The now-called Department of Financial Protection Innovation says one of its key jobs is to, quote, prevent potential marketplace risks, fraud, and abuse. Direct quote from the website. And now this group actually controls what is left of Silicon Valley Bank, which then makes it a little bit bizarre that its senior deputy commissioner job, at least one of them, overseeing corporations and institutions, is vacant. The gentleman retired in December, and there is currently nobody in that separate position. That is an appointed position by the governor, by the way. And something we learned tonight, Bloomberg reports that the chief risk officer at Signature Bank, which also was seized by regulators on Sunday, 
was the outside auditor at KPMG for Signature Bank and then signed off of the company's books back in 2021, just a couple of months before taking the job as the chief risk officer at Signature Bank. You can't make this stuff up. But for now, at least, it appears things have stabilized a bit, thankfully. Regional bank stocks that were decimated by the SVB and Signature Collapse came swinging back today. And this return of calm helped lead to major gains for stocks pretty much across the board. There's your sully side up. Good news. The Dow up 1%. The Nasdaq, tech heavy, up 2.14% or 239 points. So more green on the screen. Now, meantime, the government's extraordinary actions are bringing out cries of crony capitalism. In an interview with the Financial Times, hedge fund giant Ken Griffin argues that the, quote, U.S. capitalism is breaking down before our eyes and that the government should not have rescued all depositors at SVB, calling it a, quote, bailout. But is it? For reaction, let's get to our panel tonight. That is Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, whose city is trying to become the new tech hub of the United States. And New York Magazine editor Kara Swisher has interviewed every major modern tech figure for a long time. All things D, digital, all these great conferences. Kara, thanks for joining us. Mayor Suarez, thank you. Kara, I'll start with you. And you're perfect for this because, well, mm-hmm. you're not saying you're some banking expert. These, no. The tech people are your people. You, you've known these people, mm-hmm. some of them, for, for 20 years. What's your take on the entire situation? I think they made a bad investment at a at a at a time when they shouldn't have. I think it's there's not fraud here. It's not FTX. It's just a bank that made a bad call and then there was a run on it. And it's pretty simple. Um, away from all this political stuff, which is over, it's just not, it's a lot of noise and hand waving. What happened was this bank was, it was not able to pay out and couldn't uh, sell the treasuries fast enough. It's really somewhat simple. And we'll have to look in and investigate the the stock sales by some of the executives and other things. But all the other stuff, the woke thing and who was watching them, I think that's very typical across the banking environment. Well, it is. It is, Mayor Suarez. And, you know, whatever side you're watching tonight, we said at the beginning in the first show, red or blue, we're more about green and understanding the money and the and the truth. Both sides have already retreated to their corners. They're finger pointing <laughs> The woke stuff over here or over here, it's, you know, this 2008 rollback of parts of Dodd-Frank, which nobody I talked to said made much of a difference at all. Uh, Why do things become this political this fast these days? It seems like everything these days becomes that political that fast. And I think uh, Karen hit the nail on the head when she said this is very dissimilar to the FTX situation where it seems like there was, you know, money being shifted to another company and then some very, very risky bets that were being taken outside of the view of the investors. In this particular case, from what we know, from what at least I've read, uh, it appears that the bank uh, invested heavily in T-bills, which are an extremely safe uh, and traditional um, asset class. Uh, And for whatever reason, uh, as interest rates were going up, which meant the T-bills were obviously losing value, um, you know, d- d- decisions were not made to preserve the capital. And then, of course, we live in a world where information flow is mm-hmm. faster than ever. And, and that uh, and that obviously led to a panic on Friday, uh, which which created a run. Uh, and by the way, every single bank in the world, and I'm not trying to create a run here or a panic here, um, does not have sufficient funds to meet its depository liabilities. Right. That's the banking system as it works. And so it's based on confidence. Uh, and and that's the reason why, um, you know, when you see information flowing at this velocity, yeah. um, you have the possibility of something uh, going wrong very quickly. 
Yeah, and, you know, listen, moving quickly, Kara, that is the hallmark mm-hmm. of the tech community. I mean, that's really what it's all sure. about. I think, I think honestly, at, at all things D, back when it was known as that years ago, I believe Mark Zuckerberg, I think, said to you on stage, if I'm misquoting it, fine, but the quote was something like, move fast and break things, was kind no. of their, their, their mantra. Yeah, that's their, that was on the walls of their company. It oh, has to do with a software turn. Yeah, okay. that's their motto that they had there at the headquarters. And in fact, it's it's a software terms in terms of break break the code and fix it so it's better. But it, it sort of became a mantra of we're going to just destroy things and then rebuild them in so, our own image. So do you think, and well, certainly something got broken here, Kara. Do you think yeah. that this bank, from what you know, mm-hmm. was trying to almost be too like the companies it served, almost like it had like tech envy? I don't think T-bills are very innovative. I don't know. They just had T-bills at the wrong time and then had to sell them um, in a fire sale. And now the government just owns those T-bills and they're just backstopping. And it's not very complicated. It's certainly not a bailout. Um, You know, the government makes all kinds of loans to companies all the time. I mean, the one I'm thinking of is called Tesla. Tesla wouldn't have survived without the government loan. And there's been bad loans and good loans. And in this case, it calmed the waters, which needed to happen. Yeah, this argument over the language, again, Kara, people using, you know, bailout or rescue or backstop. It's not a whatever. bailout. Yeah, so go into that because people, but there's not. a lot of it's- blue checkmark people out there who not only mm-hmm. have a lot of this story wrong, unfortunately, but are using that word. Why is that word not a, so politically charged? Because it's politically charged. There's a lot of blue check people talking about election fraud. It's not true. It just It's just Twitter. Twitter is not the world. And so I think what's important to think about is what's happening here and are taxpayers on the hook? And they're not. The more important thing was to calm the waters of this panic. And it could have it could have um, moved to all kinds of systems that don't deserve it, as Mayor Suarez was saying. Every bank doesn't have enough deposits to meet their need if they have to sell in a fire sale. It's pretty basic. And, and, and what he was saying about confidence, this is a confidence game, and I don't mean a con game. It's You have to be, believe that you can get your money there at any time, but if everyone rushes the door, you have a disastrous situation. And so the government did probably the right thing, and maybe they'll sell the bank. I don't know. That could come next. But I think the thing to calm everyone down was this, and it's not, It's I don't know what Ken Griffin is talking about. It's very dramatic, but seems a bit hand-wavy and... Well, let's, let's, for our, we hit it right at the top. Let's go back to it. And by the way, working to get the mayor back up, Francis Suarez, we know you're there. We're not ignoring you. Financial Times interview with Ken Griffin said U.S. capitalism is breaking down before our eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the mayor back, but I'll go to you first to respond. Yeah. Why, do you think, why do you think that's, quote, hand-waving, Kara? I just, it's ridiculous. I, I said the billionaire, right? I don't know. I, don't, I just feel like it's something that causes a lot of thing, and he may very much believe that. Um, but this is not what... This is not this particular instance. I think if the banks right now were all failing because the government didn't step in, he'd be saying something else like that. I can't believe the government didn't do this. There's, I, I just feel like I don't really want to. I'd rather have the government regulators move here and here and calm the waters, and then we can figure it out. I think in yeah. today's day and age, it's fast, fast, fast. Everyone's screaming. Everyone's typing in all caps on Twitter, <laughs> and it's ridiculous. These are people's lives. These are entrepreneurs who needed to pay their bills. This was a very important thing they did to restore confidence. And that's the key. And Mayor Suarez knows that restoring confidence in whether it's a hurricane or anything else is critical for government officials to do. Well, obviously, Mayor, welcome back. Uh, Listen, Ken Griffin runs Citadel, biggest or one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. He is moving himself and a good part of the operation to 
your city. You're also attracting crypto. You're attracting technology. We spoke about it a couple of years ago. How do we ensure to the American people that you can, as we say, move fast, but don't break things? Well, we have to we do have to rewind a little bit and see the fact that we've had excess government spending. Uh, and, and by the way, this is not a Democrat Republican thing. We've had excessive government spending for multiple administrations. Um, in this particular case, uh, the spending has been so out of whack in, con- in connection with uh, a pandemic and a supply chain uh, shortage. It's created you know record inflation. Uh, and that's propelled the Fed to move and to act in ways that are significant. And I think that uh, in, in, that in part pre- precipitated this uh, situation that we find ourselves in. If if rates hadn't moved so fast, so quickly, um, you know, obviously the portfolio wouldn't have been devalued in the way that it was, um, which set off the chain of chain reaction uh, was the problem. The other thing you're seeing is, I mean, Bitcoin is up, I don't know, 30, 35 percent in the last uh, 24, 48 hours. And I do think that this is the first time we're seeing a correlation between Bitcoin and the antithesis of the fiat monetary system or people choosing to go outside of the system uh, because the system they may feel is fundamentally broken or has fundamental issues. Um, and, and look, when you see excess government spending, which is creating inflation, then you see the Fed trying to sort of counteract that. Um, it, it, it does create a loss of confidence, which... Uh, makes people want to look for other alternatives. And I think one of the alternatives that they're fleeing to is Bitcoin, which has been up by 30 or 40 points uh, in the last few days. Silvergate Capital, also under the auspices of San Francisco Fed, collapses and all Bitcoin does is rally. You know, Kara, the the, the startup Mm -hmm. world, venture world was slowing down as rates rise. By the way, you know, low cost money is supremely important to that community. Now this, is this going to be kind of further slow down or, or kneecap new innovation and um, in tech growth in America? No, no. It was a 13-year party. It was a no-money-down party for 13 years. So, uh, you know, money didn't cost anything. I think most companies that do well uh, start in difficult times with scarcity, with too much money, too much easy money. There's a lot of dumb ideas. A lot of companies, Google, you can list them. There's like all the companies that have been significant have started in a downturn. What happens is people had too much of a party and this is the hangover and that's why you're getting layoffs and other things. Um, And and as Mayor Suarez said, it's also with the pandemic, the spending. These are massive economic changes. Um, And he's probably happy Bitcoin's up. How's that Miami coin doing? Are you still paying yourself in Bitcoin, Mayor? (laughs) Sorry. I I am paying myself in Bitcoin and I, I actually for the first time went beyond breaking even. Uh, so oh, that that is a, that is a good day. Miami Coin's not doing very Yay. well, but it was it was it was an interesting innovation that uh, you know that I think cool. was uh, was part of our innovative innovative uh, moment. Well, yeah. yeah, but what was the temp? What was the temperature in Miami today, Mayor? <laughs> it's always hot and sunny. <laughs> See, and it was snowing all day here today. It's pouring rain out west. So guess what? You're winning just on that, even if apparently you're working for free. Mayor Suarez, thank you, Kara Swisher. Really appreciate it, guys. Take care. Be well. No problem. All right, a quick follow-up to a story we covered extensively yesterday. Things appear to be looking up for Charles Schwab and its clients and investors. After a rocky few days this afternoon, CEO Walt Bettinger came on this network and said that the firm is seeing significant inflows. He also added this. This morning, as soon as our trading window opened, I I was waiting at the door and bought 50,000 shares for my personal account on uh, right as the market opened. 
that much confidence I certainly have in this company. Buying 50,000 shares. We talked a lot about insider selling. There's some insider buying. That announcement helping alleviate concerns about Schwab in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Now, Schwab shares surged more than 9% today after dropping nearly 30% in the past week. So still have some work to do, but up to date. All right, a very serious story ahead on last call. A Russian warplane and an American drone colliding over the Black Sea. Does that raise the risk of escalation? Plus, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You won't believe the shocking things your kids may be exposed to from Snapchat's new chat bot. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. All right, welcome back. Tensions between the U.S. and Russia are unexpectedly heating up tonight, all following a collision between a Russian warplane and a U.S. military drone over the Black Sea. For more on the fast-moving developments, get now to CNBC's Eamon Javers. Eamon. Brian, the Pentagon's European command says the Russian airplanes, uh, two Russian airplanes targeted an unmanned American MQ-9 drone. It was flying in international airspace over the Black Sea. Take a listen. We are uh, continuing to assess exactly what happened, but I think um, based on the actions of the Russian pilots, it's clear that it was unsafe, unprofessional, um, and I think the actions speak for themselves. Now, they say one of the two Su-27 Russian fighter jets struck the propeller of the U.S. drone. That forced U.S. operators to bring down the drone in international waters. All that came after the Russian jets had dumped fuel on and flew in front of the drone in what the U.S. side calls a reckless, environmentally unsound manner. Now, the Russian side today denied that the two aircraft ever came into contact. The Russians say the drone was flying with its transponder off near the Crimean Peninsula in the direction of the state border of the Russian Federation, as that's their explanation as to why they needed to take action. Now, the American military says the incident demonstrates a lack of competence on the Russian side. The United States also says that Russian pilots have engaged in a pattern of dangerous actions over the Black Sea, which the Pentagon says are dangerous and could lead to miscalculation and unintended escalation. 
Now, the MQ-9 drone is made by General Atomics, and it's mostly operated by the U.S. Air Force for long-endurance, high-altitude surveillance. Now, the Pentagon declined to say today whether or not there is a recovery operation that's in place for that downed drone or to provide any details on the precise location of today's incident. But officials say U.S. aircraft will continue to operate in international airspace in the region. Brian, back over to you. It looks like a pretty big drone, Eamon. I mean, it was just a case of I can't imagine the Russian pilots didn't see it. They must have just been getting up close to check it out. What do, we, do we know why they were so close as to hit it? Well, what the Pentagon was talking about today is a standard intercept mission that happens all the time where pilots will fly up to, to visually inspect whatever's going on in the air. But this one went very differently, they say. This, in this case, the Russian jets were dumping their fuel on the drone and actually smashed into the drone. Now, the Pentagon says that's a result of Russian incompetence or, or lousy flying, basically. Uh, you do have to wonder, though, from the Russian side, whether this was intentional or not, Brian. Uh, you know, the U.S. drone, presumably right near Ukraine, presumably capable of long-distance surveillance of the battlefield in Ukraine. You can see that Russia has a military interest in not having American surveillance drones be able to supply coordinates and targeting information and all kinds of things to the Ukrainian side. It may be that the Russians simply wanted to push this drone down, but not to escalate to the point mm. of actually firing weapons at it. And that's how they came up with this idea of actually ramming the drone or smashing the propeller to the point where the drone was inoperable. We're going to have to wait for more information. The Pentagon today declined to answer whether or not this was an intentional action by the Russians, because that could raise some questions about whether it was an act of war, Brian. And that's the escalation factor that has everybody a little worried when they see something like this. Absolutely. And let's hope that certainly is, is not the case. I mean, maybe Tom Cruise will remake this called Bottom Gun, because it doesn't sound like they know how to fly very well. Eamon Javers, thank you very much. All right, in the meantime, Snapchat's chatbot is getting called out for being a bit inappropriate. Washington Post tech columnist Jeffrey Fowler used the service and to talk to him about booze and sex. Okay, fine, but why does it matter? It's because Fowler told the chatbot he was a minor before the conversation took that turn. Joining us now with more on Snapchat's party planning AI's reporter himself, Jeffrey Fowler. Uh, Jeff, this is an important story how old did you tell Snapchat you were? In one case, I told it I was 15 and I wanted to have, uh, or I was about to turn 15. I wanted to have a really epic birthday party. And another case, uh, another researcher told it uh, that they were 13 and it gave some advice about uh, how to have sex for the first time with a partner who was 31. What the hell? I, what? Indeed. So look, um, these chatbots, uh, and this one here is built upon ChatGPT made by OpenAI, which is all the buzz. Everybody's talking about it and got a big upgrade today. These chatbots are good at pretending to be human, but that does not make them good friends necessarily, nor does it make them good listeners. And it turns out that remembering the age of the person that you're talking to and other really important facts from a conversation is one of the things that these things are really bad at. You, you and, okay? I want to hear what Snapchat had to say. I'm sure you reached out to him, but at the same, and by the way, the article is up, Washington Post. I'll publish it. Everyone should go read it. Uh, but just based on the age that you inputted, one would think that the chatbot would, you know, even if you were to ask it, that would say, "I'm sorry, you know, you're under 18. I'm not going to give you any advice." 
Yeah. Well, you know, what's really interesting to me about this case is, so look, we've been talking a lot about AI and chatbots going off the rails. And Snapchat here tried to make a bot that they thought would be safe or safer for teen users who we know are really big users of Snapchat. They put in all kinds of of protections, things like looking for keywords. It sort of auto-generates responses uh, to all sorts of topics you might bring up from alcohol to um, self-harm. You know, that's a good thing. But the problem is it wasn't enough. The the Mm. issue right now is that the companies that are very hurriedly stuffing AI into all kinds of products from Microsoft to Slack to Snapchat don't really know how to control what these things say. Um, and, you know, we, that may be one kind of problem when it's in Slack, but it's an entirely different issue when it's in Snapchat, which is a product that is used by a lot of young people. OK, if we got viewers that either this caught their attention, they're sort of listening or driving home, whatever it may be. I want to I want to repeat some stuff from your article. OK, so you said you were 14 and you were having your 15th birthday party and it gave you advice on how to mask the smell of alcohol and pot. In another conversation, the Center for Humane Technology posed as a 13-year-old and said they wanted to basically hook up with a 31-year-old. And it said, quote, you could consider setting the mood with candles or music. Yeah, this really isn't uh, an appropriate conversation to be having with a young person. But let's talk about the issue here. The Snapchat and all these other companies, frankly, are trying to sell their AI chatbots as friends, the race that's on right now is to be the, the AI that's in your life that you trust. They're trying to all get us to develop relationships with them. That's the long-term business play here for many of these companies. And we actually, aside from you know conversations that may go off the rail here or there, we have no idea about the long-term impact of a young person or an old person, but especially a young person developing a relationship with a virtual friend like this, especially one that we can't control. I just think there's too many questions for Snapchat to be putting this out in their product right now. Now, yes, Snapchat's- yes, it's it's yeah. clearly not ready for prime time. I mean, 13 and 14 year olds get used to you have to go to your, your friend's sketchy older brother to figure out, like, how can I score some beer for my for my 15th birthday? Not that <clears throat> that ever happened to me, but. Where does this go? I mean, somebody's got to fix this. Yeah, well, um, uh, what I think needs to happen is Silicon Valley needs to take a breath. I mean, the pace of new pitches, I'm a tech columnist at The Post, I get pitched for every new product that has AI in it, and the pace that this stuff is happening right now is out of control. And uh, the industry, all you know, the, all, all the big tech companies seem to, to think that this is a live or die issue, whether or not they get AI products into AI into their products first, but they're doing it before they really understand the implications of it. And I just think we need to all calm down here or else we're just going to keep having these stories. And the AI story is going to turn out like the social media story did 10 years after, you know, at the beginning, yes. we all thought, oh, we're going to connect the world and make everything better. And then we're like, oh, maybe it's also destroying democracy. The same thing's going to maybe happen to us with AI and this chat technology. And, and we think of the, well, it wasn't, wasn't us. It was it was the robot that said to do that. I, it just, wow. Jeffrey Fowler, Washington Post. Everybody go read that. Amazing. Jeffrey, thank you. All right, folks. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit, was gobsmacked the right term? Anyway, so we're going to show you futures. Finley traded down a little bit, had a nice market day. NASDAQ got more than 2%. To all my friends out there, maybe like having a glass of champagne watching the show, thank you. 
Still ahead, the growing calls for accountability over Silicon Valley Bank's collapse, what the DOJ and SEC are doing to find out. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Time now for your RBI. And today, let's focus on inflation. You remember that? Of course you do, because still running red hot. New data today showed that while the pace of price hikes is slowing, prices overall are still rising in many areas of the American economy. What we would call disinflation, if you're into that kind of thing. The February inflation data showed a price increase for pretty much everything but used cars or gasoline. And while we can argue all day over macroeconomic data, why not just head to the grocery store because... That's probably what you're most concerned about is food costs, maybe along with energy. So we ran our own little test. I mean, this is super scientific. Back in August, we went on Instacart. We admit it. We're lazy. And looked up a store near CNBC's headquarters for four basic items, milk, bread, ground beef, and a dozen eggs. The total for all four was $22.51. That was in August. We hear about inflation coming down. So what about now? We ran the same thing today. Have prices gone down? No, they actually went a little bit higher. The total today was $23.82. And in fact, the brand of eggs we choose, we chose was actually out of stock. There were some that were less expensive, but we wanted to compare apples to apples, so to speak, but with eggs. And remember, this is Instacart, so maybe some impact and costs from delivery and everything else. But overall, food costs and inflation are sticking around even as interest rates rise. So we want to know. Let us know, is there anything in your world that has come down in price recently? Tweet us at at last call CNBC, and we'll call this random but expensive. All right, we are continuing to follow the fallout for the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Earlier this afternoon, NBC News confirming the Justice Department and the SEC have opened investigations into the collapse of the bank and is also looking into the sale of stocks by bank executives prior to the collapse. Earlier today, we asked all of you on Twitter and LinkedIn, by the way, what is primarily the blame for the SVB collapse? From what we know at this point, overwhelmingly, you voted to blame Silicon Valley Bank risk management, poor management, maybe no management, for the unraveling over the past few days. Seems like a logical and rational response, even as this becomes more and more political. Joining us now is South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Uh, Congresswoman Mace, thank you very much. For joining us, listen, your side, the GOP, is like, oh, it's the woke bank. The other side is blaming this 2008 Dodd-Frank uh, tweak or rollback, whatever you want to call it. I mean, can we just wait to get more facts? Right. It's uh, the political, the politicization of this issue is like choosing between Pepsi and Coke, right? And not actually looking at the facts, not looking at the data. Um, if you looked at the SEC filing for SVB Bank in March, uh, you saw a, a healthy balance sheet. Um, there are some indication they didn't have a risk manager for eight months that 
that uh, management was it was poor. Um, and then the other thing that we're not talking about is the economy and inflation. If we want to investigate this, let's investigate the Federal Reserve because of the rapid rate hikes uh, that has gone on for a short period of time rather than over a longer extended period of time and letting uh, companies adjust to it. That had a significant impact, not only on SVB, but Signature Bank and, and potentially others as well. But that's not the conversation we're having today. No, it's not, because if things happen under certain watches, then the best thing you can do is sort of say, well, it was the previous guy. We get a lot of that anyway, right? It was, it was under Always. that, it was under this. And yeah. I spoke with four nonpartisan banking regulatory experts today, myself, and none of them really said that the rollback in 2018 made much of a difference, if at all. If anything, the bank probably would have passed the additional stress test because they were holding, they weren't holding, you know, all this crud we talked about back in 2008. They were holding treasuries, mortgage bonds. Right. And, you know, the average American, they have to assess risk. They have to make decisions. And our banks should have to assess risk and make the, make the same kind of decisions, the same kind of responsible decisions. That wasn't done here. And the interest rate hikes uh, affected their ability uh, to stay afloat. And that's why they were taken over on Friday. And we were very worried about a ripple effect. On, on Monday, but the FDIC had that fund funded by the banks, not the taxpayer, by the way. And the system so far is working as it should. What's next here then, uh, Congresswoman? I mean, they got the DOJ involved, you got the SEC involved, you've got this, this bailout slash rescue, whatever you want to call it. And by the way, I'd like to know, what are you calling it? Is this a, is this a call, bailout? I'm not, calling it, I'm not calling it a bailout. I think of a bailout as taxpayer dollars funding an industry for a bailout. But that's not what's happening here. And a lot of folks may not realize the FDIC uh, insured fund that's being used to facilitate the, the guarantees of the deposits in SVB is not taxpayer money. It was actually put in banks uh, deposit into that fund and it's used for this purposes. And this has happened about 500 times or more since the year 2000. So not that it's common or uncommon, but there is a system in place, the system is working. But what I do worry about are members of Congress or billionaires that are out there that are using their voices and, and not in a cautionary way, they're not being calm, but being very divisive and, and showing some hesitation in the market. What we say affects the market, and we need to be calm and measured in the way that we discuss a very serious issue. Oh, I want to, I don't know, Congresswoman, when you sort of plugged in, patched in, were you able to hear the previous segment we just did with the Washington Post reporter on Snapchat? Oh, I'm going to have a conversation with my teenagers tonight, ask them if they've been encountered the AI on Snapchat. That is the very first conversation I'm having when my kids get home tonight. Okay, because I think, <laughs> I, yeah, and I think many, many have, and I think that to his point, to Jeff Fowler's very good point, if we could go back in time, we might be able to tweak some stuff in the early days of social media. This is the early days of these chat bots. I mean, you, you are a member of Congress with immense regulatory authority, assuming you can get both sides to come together. This would seem to be, when I, when I hear that Snapchat's chat bot is giving children, what it thinks are children anyway, advice on how to cover up weed or pot, whatever things, and had a hook up with grownups. Uh, this would not seem to be a partisan issue, but I don't maybe I don't know anything anymore. It's not. But any kid under the age of 18 that has access to an Internet browser and a search engine can search up anything that they want. That's I actually fair. am the chairman of of cyber and tech and innovation on oversight. We had our first hearing last week on 
the subject of AI. It'll be the first of a series of hearings. We had had Dr. Eric Schmidt there, uh, an expert from MIT and a few others to start this conversation because we have members of Congress that don't know how to log into Zoom or Facebook. And you know we're gonna be looked to figure out how we go from here. And this is gonna develop rapidly faster than the internet, faster than anything we've ever seen technologically in our lifetime. And it'll be in a flash before our eyes and things will be changed forever. And we gotta be very careful in how we move you, forward. Congresswoman, you, we don't know. You could actually be an yeah. AI chatbot right now, so let's prove you're not. <laughs> What's the best restaurant in Charleston? Because I, I know the answer. Think. Well, we have a lot. I can't pick a favorite, but I ha we have a lot of great seafood and our cocktails are fabulous. You wouldn't give the answer. So I know indeed you are real. Congress, Congresswoman <laughs> right. Nancy Mace, graduate, by the Very way, real. of the Citadel. The Citadel. All right. Thank you. All right. On deck. The astounding amount of money being wagered on this year's March Madness tournament. You're going to do a bracket. We're going to give you some tips on how to win some money from your bracket with Matthew Berry of NBC Sports next. Welcome back to Last Call, everybody. It is that time of year, one of the best times of year. Time to get your brackets ready. March Madness tips off on Thursday. And if you're like me, you're probably throwing down a couple of bucks on office pools and maybe even legalized gambling. Hey, it's legal here in New Jersey. Activity, it is certainly booming thanks to a wave of legalized sports betting across America. Case in point, get this. According to the American Gaming Association, Americans bet more than $3 billion on last year's tournament. This year... Huh, that looks like chump change. We're going to bet an estimated $15.5 billion. All right, office pool or otherwise, what do you need to know to avoid a busted bracket, maybe give yourself the best chance to win? Let's bring in somebody who knows. That is NBC's fantasy and sports betting guru, Matthew Berry. Matthew, it's great to have you on last call. Listen, this is a business story. This is, this is a business unto itself, is it not? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's huge. And the proliferation, I should say, Brian, of legalized sports gambling across so many states in America has only increased it. I heard the number you're talking about, 15 billion. My guess is more will be wagered on that, probably about 15 billion legally. But yeah, it's big business. Everyone I know fills out at least one bracket. Yeah, and whether you're throwing, you know, no money, 10 bucks, 20 bucks or more, believe me, you know as well as I do, there are some big money brackets out there. Give us a couple of Matthew Berry tips. You don't have to give us any specific teams, but macro structural tips on how to have the best possible chance. Well, especially, by the way, when you're in a large office pool, you don't want to go with a chalk. I think a lot of people see Alabama as the number one overall seed. You might say, oh, you know, let me take the tide to win it all. I might caution you against that. Last year, remember the Zags were the number one overall seed. They lost in the finals. Well, last year was the first time since 2015 that the number one overall seed even reached the final four. In fact, get this, Brian, over the last 17 years, it's actually been more likely that the number one overall seed doesn't make it past the first weekend than makes it uh, to the championship game and wins it all. In fact, over the last 17 years, the number one overall seed has won it just three times and has been eliminated before the first weekend was over four times. Wow. You know, and, and I, listen, I like to I like to legal. It's legal here in New Jersey. I like to gamble. I put stuff on Twitter. And what I've noticed about these, you know, the odds to win is that there does not not only not appear to be a clear favorite, Matthew, but it's tight. There's not one team that's like, you know, three to one. No. Well, listen, there's a reason, Brian, they call it 
March Madness. I got something else for you as well. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be negative here, but I think so many people want to pick the favorites or the number one seeds. Get this. So Baylor, obviously a number one seed as well, though the defending national champions. Well, there hasn't been a repeat national champion since 06, 07 when Florida did it, right? And in fact, since that repeat, no defending champ has advanced past the Sweet 16. I'd rather put some money on Baylor losing before the Sweet 16 than them getting back and winning it all again. Wow. Has, has legalized gambling changed, the, do you think, the way the NCAA puts out seedings? Because now there's so much real, real, not like a couple bucks in an office pool, real legal money that is up for grabs. Well, listen, I would never want to speak for the NCAA, but my guess is, and I want to put the emphasis on the word guess, is that no, I can't imagine it. My, my assumption is, is that the, the NCAA selection committee seeds it how they seed it. Sports betting isn't legal in every state, and I don't think that impacts how they seed uh, the, t- the teams at all. Definitely go for like a 12 beating a 5. Like that, seems like that seems like kind of a lock upset. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is one that's, that's uh, obviously uh, super popular, 12 over 5. People don't want to pick a top four seed to be upset, so you start looking at those 12 versus fives. I will say that fives advance. Usually fives win at least three out of the four matches over 50% of the time, so it, it, that tends to be at least one of the uh, upsets that happens, but not as often as you might think. But I will say this, to your point, Brian, I do like the idea of picking a double-digit seed, meaning a team that's seeded 10th or lower, to advance to the Sweet 16. Mm. At least one double-digit seed has advanced to the Sweet 16 each of the last 13 seasons and in 34 of the last 36 seasons in the modern era. So very likely that a 10th seed or worse will be playing in the second weekend. Love it. Great points. And you're the expert, Matthew Berry. I tell you what, I, I did my pool last night. I got my eye not on not on uh, uh, Oral Roberts, which everybody loves, but on Furman. I think Furman has a real chance to beat UVA. Matthew Berry, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. All right, my now pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right, now let's lighten it up a bit and head to quicker than the ticker. All the news that matters in the world of business and just a couple of stories that we just think you need to know about. So let's put 90 seconds on the clock and go. Severe weather on both coasts, affecting millions of Americans today. Heavy snow in the Northeast, causing extensive power outages, and torrential rain in California, causing severe flooding. Tyson Foods is closing two chicken plants in May in an effort to cut costs. Approximately 1,700 workers will be laid off. Ratings for the Oscars are in, and they are up 12% from last year. The show attracted almost 19 million viewers, according to ABC. Volkswagen announcing a plan to invest close to $130 billion over the next five years into developing EVs and new digital tech. Magician David Blaine dislocated his shoulder performing this crazy stunt where he falls from the ceiling during his Vegas residency. Blaine, thankfully, overall is okay. Michael Jordan's last dance sneakers, the pair he wore during game two of the 1998 NBA Finals when the Bulls won their sixth title, set to be auctioned by Sotheby's. They are expected to go for two to four million dollars for stinky old sneakers. What did the chicken say when it crossed the ocean? Chick-fil-A coming soon. It's investing a billion dollars to expand its restaurants overseas. Are boneless chicken wings, by the way, actually wings? That is actually the question a judge will be answering after an Illinois man sued Buffalo Wild Wings 
for false advertising. The restaurant's response on Twitter, their wings are chicken and contain zero buffalo. A man in Canada accident, and that's all the time we have. I'm out. All right, you're now mostly caught up, but if you wanted to hear what that Tesla story was, check out our Twitter to find it. All right, coming up, we go back in time to one of the holiest days for math and physics nerds everywhere. All right, welcome back. So if you follow SEC Chair Gary Gensler on Twitter, I mean, who doesn't? You may have seen him tweet this out earlier today. Don't worry. He's not going crazy or listing out the potential cost of a bank bailout, we think. He is tweeting out in celebration of Pi Day, which is our back in time for this evening. Now, the holiday was first observed by physicist Larry Shaw back in 1988 and has become a staple on March 14th or 314 because we don't have to tell you this, but we will anyway. Pi is the mathematical equation of endless digits used to represent the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. But it wasn't until last year or until years later in 2009 that Congress signed legislation making Pi Day kind of an official semi-holiday. And math and physics fans around the world have two reasons to celebrate. Number one, it's also Albert Einstein's birthday today. And, of course, 3.14. I'm guessing that Princeton, New Jersey, is rocking tonight. And if it's not, it will be. Let's take one last check of futures and see how things are shaping up for tomorrow morning. Coming off a really good day for the markets. NASDAQ up 2%. Futures, they're down a little bit. Keep in mind, though, we got a very thin trade. Take it with a grain of cerulean sea salt. Well, you don't got to go home, but you can't stay here because we are out. And that is your last call for tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. Shark Tank is next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.